there are a, a few areas of our life where we can't not be triumphant. We have to be triumphant in a few areas. Um, there are certain areas where it really doesn't matter. There's other areas where it is not even an option. Uh, the first area is your relationship with Jesus Christ. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ right now? You, you and I both have to be triumphant in this area. When I say triumphant, I mean break through those rough patches where our faith is real thin. To be able to uh, pull up our, our boots uh, by the bootstraps and, and carry on um, when it feels like uh, we have no hope. Uh, to pray, to force ourselves to pray when it feels like our prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing right down. Uh, we have to be triumphant in our relationship with God. We have to be steadfast. We have to just keep going. And then the next concentric circle around that is uh, from underneath the spiritual umbrella is our wife, our husband, our children. What would we gain if we die at 97 years old with $90 million in the bank and our family is not saved and they're not going to be in heaven? What have we gained? Have we gained anything at all? So it's first ourselves, then it's our children, then the next concentric circle underneath the umbrella of your spiritual uh, triumphant goals is your next sphere of influence. The people that are in your life have been assigned to be in your life. The people that you work with, the people that you live life with, to, to, to go from assignment to assignment. Uh, just think about that. I mean, isn't that cool? When you wake up in the morning... The Lord has you on assignment. The, the Lord's desire to, is to share the secret things with you. In other words, when you go to work, that he can just whisper into your soul what the person you're working with needs to hear. And you just begin to encourage them and lift them up and become a source of strength. And then the next umbrella, if you will, where we have to be triumphant is financially. None of us need to, to drive a Rolls Royce, but we need to be able to put food on our table. We need to be able to pay our bills, go to sleep uh, at night and not worry um, about the finances the next day. We need to be triumphant there. There's certain areas where we just need to be triumphant and all of us. We all live different lives. You don't work where I work. I don't work where you work. We live in different sides of town. Uh, different roads, but every directional sign on how to be triumphant in those key areas are all the same. They're all the same. And so what we're going to study today is how Jesus could handle such an immense amount of pressure, especially in the last three years of his life, and still be unbelievably triumphant. I don't know how he did it, um, but I, I do want to pull out three truths today, and I want to start by illustrating this thought right here. When you live your life, just like your physical eyes 
they can only focus on one thing at a time. You can only be laser focused on one thing at a time. You have a peripheral vision. You can see what's going on around you. But you can only be focused on one thing at a time. I want to share with you this morning that Jesus had this incredibly ability, an incredible ability to be focused, laser focused. What we don't want to happen is for us to live our entire lives focused on more, more money, a better car, better house, more, 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 more. What makes me happy? What makes me satisfied? What do I love and whatever I love on this earth is what I'm going to pursue. It's about me. And if I'm not happy, then I'm not going to participate in whatever it is that doesn't make me happy. And our whole life becomes consumed with satisfying our own pleasures. Jesus, on the other hand, did not live this way. Jesus did not stay laser focused on the things of this world. He did have a job. He was a carpenter. He was very successful. But he was not laser focused on it. He was laser focused on his assignment. And nothing was going to distract him from his assignment. The Bible says that our life is like a wisp of smoke that appears for a moment and passes away. It would be such a shame to not be triumphant in the most critical areas of our life because we fall victim and prey to being consumed by things that are going to pass away and not be, dis not be locked, not have our vision locked on the eternal. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'd like for everybody to now look into the scriptures at Matthew chapter 21. And let's watch and see how Jesus lived his life. His triumphant entry into uh, Jerusalem. Uh, this is a Sunday, this day. He's going to be crucified in five days. So watch how he handles all this. Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people and all the and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. I skipped down to verse 8 and without warning, sorry about that. But I was reading verse chapter 21, 1 through 3, and then I started reading 8 through 9. And I want to share uh, three things that the Lord did. The first thing that he did and the first thing that he focused on, the first thing that we want to uh, uh, soak out of his life and apply to ours is gifts. Gifts. You see, Jesus was under a crazy amount of pressure. He knew in five days all the people that were going, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. Those exact people are going to be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible says that they were, they were a mob. I read a, a commentary that there was an estimated 2.1 million people in Jerusalem at that time because it was during the Passover. So everybody was flooding the town. Do you know how difficult it is to see people shouting for you and you know in five days they're going to be shouting against you. You know that you're going to die. And what Jesus did at that moment, right before he even saw those people, is he told the disciples, go down to the town and get a donkey that's going to be waiting for me. Now what he's doing is he's prophesying at that moment. It's a gift of prophecy. He's speaking about something in the future that the disciples don't know anything about. It's a gift. He's operating in his gift in spite of the fact that he is under an incredible amount of pressure. Now hear me say this. When the enemy comes to your life with pressure that is so intense you don't even talk about it. Do you know what I'm saying? There's certain bad days that you'll tell your friend, oh man, I'm having a bad day. But then there's another level of bad that's so bad you lie about how bad it is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if you have a headache Hey, how are you? Oh, I have a headache. That's one level of bad. But then there's another level of bad that your house is going to be lost. The bank is going to take it unless you get an income. That is a whole nother level of bad. And when someone says, how are you? you oh, I'm doing good. Are you with me? There's levels of bad days. And Jesus is having the worst. Hey, Jesus, how are you? Well, in five days, all these people are going to kill me. That's a bad day. What the enemy would love for us to do is when pressure comes for us to freeze up, lock up, and stop praying, stop looking at God, throw dirt on the, kick dirt on the foot of the church, and just say, Hello, you're not listening to me. You're not watching me. I'm done with this and begin to back up. 
And what Jesus is modeling here is, in spite of pressure, don't stop using the gifts that you have. Use it right in the middle of it all. I remember when my dad was going through a divorce. He was, uh, my, my mom was leaving my dad. And churches were calling my dad to invite him. He was an evangelist at the time to come preach. And I remember as a child thinking, how in the world are you able to get in a car, drive to another city, preach in a church about the faithfulness of God, when your wife is, my mom is leaving you. I'll never forget that. Ever forget that. And now as a grown man, when I hit the rough spots in my life where I feel like hell is not paying attention to anybody except for me, I think about my father and I think, you know what? My dad would walk into a church raise his hands and worship God, preach about the faithfulness of God. When we had no money, our family was being cracked right down the middle. And wouldn't you know, he just used what he had, the gifts that he had. He's encouraging other people, speaking life in other people while we're falling apart. And to this day, I feel like that generation handed me a baton and now I'm running with it and I will hand in the name of Jesus, my son and my daughter, the same baton that when life gets tough, we don't stop using what God has given us. We don't stop. We just keep... With Paul said this, I write you these letters with tears in my eyes. He's in prison writing letters to churches because he can't go there and preach, so he's going to write them a letter and encourage them. Hell just wants us to stop, get mad, freeze up, just stop. And that's why Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Never, never stop praying. Just keep doing it. If you have a unique ability to make somebody feel better, to encourage somebody, do you know how furious you will make hell when hell is trying to destroy your life and all you're doing is encouraging other lives? Do you know how furious hell gets? Do you know how mad hell gets at you when they're sending demons like crazy into your life and you won't stop using your gifts? All hell wants you to do is get mad, get depressed, sulk and go into a ditch and just moan and complain and eat bluebell ice cream. (laughs) It's all hell wants. But Jesus said this, he goes, go, and he started using his gifts, and he says, go. And then, what, what else he did with, it, with the next gift is that he 
pulled in the gift of humility. Very few people are born humble. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever heard of humble pie? Everybody gets a free serving of humble pie every once in a while, and you got to ramrod it into somebody's mouth. Nobody likes the taste of humble pie. People like pecan pie and bunt cakes and things like that, apple pies, cobblers, not humble pie. Nobody likes humble pie. We can't, can't stand humble pie. We like hot brownies with ice cream on top. We don't like humble pie. What Jesus would do is he would pull it into himself. Now realize this. He's the son of God. He's about to go to Jerusalem. If he could say, there's a donkey waiting for me, he could very easily say, there is a white, a stall, white stallion. Can there be a white stallion? All right, better believe it. There, there's a, a white stallion stallion waiting for me just outside of the city. He's tied up. Go get it and bring it to me. If he could say, bring me a donkey, he could have said, bring me a white stallion. But this place, this world is not the place where he's ready to step up and be that king. It wasn't time yet. It was time for him to get on a donkey and to go into Jerusalem and to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. This is my time to die. The time for me to be on the white horse and to come as king, that's coming pretty soon, but now is not the time. And he, ha he knew what we have to embrace is before you can lead, you have to learn how to be led. Jesus was led first. This was the most prominent thing in his life. This right here. And if it didn't line up with this, then he's not going to invest his time into it. This was everything to him. And he's not going to get distracted with things that make him feel good. Quite the contrary. You know, there's one person, one man, that didn't have to eat humble pie before he became a leader. There's one person that when he opened his eyes for the first time in his life, he was a leader right away. His name was Adam. And we know how that turned out. <laughs> Imagine being Adam. On your first birthday, you're 30. <laughs> you wake up. I have hair on my chest. On your first birthday, you're in charge of everything. You're the boss of everything. And just to top it off, there's a hot girl in the garden named Eve, and you're the only guy to pick from. <laughs> How sweet is that? 
get to walk up to Eve. Say, hey, how are you? My name, my name is Adam. You can pick me or that giraffe. What in the world? What kind of life is that? You don't get to lead before you've been led. You don't get to be promoted before you serve. You don't get to be king before you're a servant. Nobody wants to serve. Everybody wants to lead. It doesn't work out that way. Jesus said, I'm I'm not ready to be king here. I'm going to hold off. My time's not quite yet. Those two gifts, those two things of using your gift and embracing humility, you know what, I'm going to say sorry first. My mother in the Lord, Jeannie Mayo, she's coming on June the 8th to preach on a Sunday morning. You don't want to miss that. She used to tell me, Frankie, the stronger person always apologizes first. I said, well, la-di-da-da, I guess I won't be the strongest person ever because I'm surrounded by idiots that are always wrong. So I guess I won't be very strong. To say sorry, to embrace humility, to say it's not my time yet. And now isn't the time where I get to be, uh, you know, triumphant. Now isn't the time. But this is the road. This is the direction to go ahead and embrace it. I'm not going to get to drive a Bentley here. That's just the way it is. I mean, if you want to buy me one, I will drive it. But this isn't, this isn't the place. So first of all, use your gifts and pull humility. The second thing that Jesus did is he had tears. Now this moves me because Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. He's riding a donkey and he's crying. Now if you were coming into this church... And the minute you come in, Michael, we all go, Michael's here! Whoa! And all of a sudden, he starts crying. What's wrong with this guy? Jesus, if you read the the account in the book of Luke, Jesus was crying when he was riding the donkey. And when you begin to peel back why he was crying... Because he was watching all of these people cheer for him. Not because of who he was. But what they wanted him to do for them. You see, they were being ruled by Romans. They wanted a savior to come in, take the Roman Empire, tump it upside down on its head, and the the Jews could now rule the Romans. And so they're all like, Jesus, Jesus. When I say J, you say Jesus. J, 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 J. The other half of you are like, I'm not participating. That's cool. (laughs) They were all just 
so excited. Jesus is crying because he's saying, the only reason why you're pursuing me right now is because you want me to do something for you. And the minute I don't do something for you, you're going to change your ways. And sure enough, they did. We want you to overthrow the Romans. He doesn't overthrow the Romans. Now they want him crucified. My goodness. Are you kidding me right now? So Jesus is seeing in a parallel world. He's seeing the physical, but he's also seeing the supernatural. And the supernatural is breaking his heart and he's crying. He's crying because he knows that they don't understand. When we, sometimes God has to have the ability to be God without permission. Does that make sense? He has to have the the ability to be able to say, I've got something better for your life, so we're going to move some things around in your life. Let me illustrate this. He gets off of his donkey and he comes walking into the church, the temple. And he's ticked. He's mad because there's thieves in there. And so he starts throwing things out, throwing them out, throwing them out. And I I started thinking about the word thief. A thief is a person who takes advantage of somebody to gain an advantage. He starts throwing them out. Get out, get out, get out. And then he begins to clean the place out. And I just want to say that when God decides to be God without permission, it's always better for you than what you have planned for you. So he starts throwing things out. And do you know the temple of the Lord is you? You are the temple. So sometimes he will come into your life and start throwing things out. This person is no good. Dear Jesus, bring them back, God. Bring them back. He's the one that took them out. Sometimes he comes into your life just like he came walking into the temple, mad and ticked, saying enough is enough. I want this job has not been treating you right since the day you walked in. Jesus, I just got fired. He had to fire you because he knows you are so faithful. You would never quit. Like our friend Arnaldo. This guy is the salt of the earth. He couldn't stand his job. But he's still going to drive an hour into Houston. Hate it. Drive all the way back. Finally. Lord comes walking into his temple. Just lost my job. And 
Then God gives him another job that he would have never known existed if he was still at the other job. Some of you that have been fired should go back to your old boss and say, thank you for firing me. Thank you so much. I'm going to... Thank you. I couldn't stand working for you. You were a thorn in my side. I ate ice cream every time I came home. I gained 40 pounds working for you. You drove me, you drove me into a depression, you rotten bum. God bless you for firing me. Sometimes God will come right into your life and start ripping things out. And wouldn't you know? Point number three. Wouldn't you know that when Jesus had this kind of focus, he pulled all the dirty out of the temple. And do you know what happened next? The minute... He got the dirty out. The very next verse says that many miracles and healings began to take place. I just want to say that some of the loss that we've had in our life was necessary in order to usher in the healings and miracles. I learned this a long time ago, that when a family leaves our church, I always say the same thing. May the Lord bless you. Because I can't see into the spirit. I can't tell the difference between a sheep and a wolf that's dressed up like a sheep. Kind of tricky. Such large teeth you have. (laughs) Better to eat you with, Frankie. I can't tell. But I tell the Lord all the time, Father, I'm the pastor, but you're the shepherd. I want you to stand at the gate. Research Forest and Cochran's Crossing. I want you to stand at the gate. And everybody that comes walking in, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I see you. Everybody who comes in, I, hey, hey, welcome to Celebration Church. Welcome to Celebration Church. I don't know if they're about to bite me. Don't know. Some of the sh- some of the wolves dressed up as sheep. The Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Some of those wolves look, have whiter wool than some of the sheep. Ooh, I tripped up on that one. That will preach. Because sheep are not always as clean as they are on TV. Have you ever been to a farm? Have you ever been to a farm? You look at those sheep and you're like, hold on a minute. All the paintings I've seen, they're all white. It's pretty normal for some of us sheep to stumble a little bit. 
right? Oh, some of you, some of you, oh, you're all white. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's... Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. See, the Lord, when a, fa- when a family comes in or a person comes in and all of a sudden they leave, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just say, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you. We're leaving, Pastor. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you. Sometimes sheep leave. They're moving. Or May the Lord bless you. I don't know the difference between the two. But every once in a while, there's a, a family that will leave. And a few weeks later, we'll start hearing some miracles in the church. People are getting healed. And I'll go, hmm. That's your business. Not even going to wonder. Sometimes he's just got to throw it out. This is what Jesus was good at. In the middle of all the pressure, he kept on using his gifts. In the middle of all the pressure, he'd back up and he would see in the parallel world and it would break his heart. Tears would come down. It's a scary thing when the supernatural doesn't break your heart anymore. Oh, can I just share with you? I just feel like I really need to preach this point. Can I just share? It concerns me. See, I can say this right now because I'm preaching and, and I feel the anointing on me and I'm bolder when I feel the anointing on me and when I'm done preaching, I'm just Frankie again. But while I'm preaching, I feel like I have muscles on my teeth and I can say what the Lord once said. But when I'm just me, I'm scared to death to say this. So let me say it while the anointing is on me. It scares me to death. When there is a casual approach to the kingdom of God, it should scare you. You should say, dear God, I know I'm in trouble. I don't think about you when I wake up. I don't think about you when I go to sleep. I don't think about you during the day. I don't think about you when I do bad. I used to feel bad when I did bad. Now I don't even feel bad anymore. Lord, I think I'm in trouble. Will you rescue me, please? It's a scary thing when we approach God with him. You know, there's no such thing as a cool Christian. No such thing. No such thing. The Bible calls that lukewarm. You're neither cold nor hot. You're cool. No such thing. Jesus was laser focused. So first of all, anytime he felt like he needed to fight from here to there. Sometimes there's a fight between what you want and what God wants and 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 what you want. And that's why Jesus said, Dear God, in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup Pass from me. I know this is what you want, but this is what I want. And when you are wrestling back and forth, back and forth, wrestling with God to be kind and nice when it doesn't feel good. Oh, I'm going to be kind, but they don't deserve it. I know I need to worship you, but I don't feel like it. 
ooh, Jesus, I don't want to say this because it's treading on thin ice with many of your emotions and you may never come back to church because I'm saying this, but I got to say it because I'm going to stand before God one day and God's going to look at me and say, did you put that light on your face or did you put that light on the cross when I entrusted you, Frankie? So let me just tell you now, I'm going to keep it on the cross and I'm going to hide in the dark because it takes a vertebrae bigger than what I have when I'm not on this stage to say this in Ephesians chapter 5. Read it when you go home. Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot live in sexual immorality and claim That you are a follower of Christ. Because what you're doing is you are giving yourself what you desire. And you're assuming that when you stand before God, oh, he's just going to make it all okay. Let me help you figure out. There's a difference between a mistake and a flagrant sin. And when your life is one flagrant sin after the next with no restraint, you should be very, very concerned. I thank you for not clapping because usually what happens, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I thank you for not clapping because usually what happens is the people that don't struggle with that sin are the ones that are clapping. Whereas they may be struggling with their own. Let me help you with this. I trip, I fall, I beg God for forgiveness. He freely gives it to me. Daily, I call upon his forgiveness and mercy. Where you should be concerned is when it's flagrant, it's a pattern, and it's without restraint. Are you following me? Are you tracking me? Is anyone going to come back to church next Sunday? (laughs) Because I just feel, I I want you to know something. If I have stepped on your toes, it is only because I was aiming for your heart and I got too close and stepped on your clothes. And please know this, I would not share this if I didn't have to stand before God and have him ask me, why did you skip certain chapters? And he would know without me answering because I wanted them to like me. Isaiah, why don't you come on up here, please? The last thing that happened 
at that moment was some children were worshiping. And they said, Jesus, do you want us to shut these kids down? And Jesus said, no, don't shut them down. Because worship is the sweetest thing in the world to him. And I'd love to challenge you. I can't challenge you to be perfect because none of us can. But we can live the rest of our life worshiping.